On today's episode, we kick off our May menstrual cycle series. We are talking about what is a normal cycle? What does that look like? How long is it supposed to be? What is it supposed to feel like? And we talk about the nutritional considerations you may want to take into place to make sure that your cycle is as healthy, as symptom-free as possible, and stick with us throughout the entire month of May because we are going to be diving into all things menstruation, the good, the bad, the ugly. We can't wait to get into this with you. You hear all the bull about diet and exercise. Carbs are evil. Do more cardio. Never eat bread or cookies again. Just do a juice cleanse. We get it. We fell for all of the BS too. It's time to go right to the source with the truth about how to live a healthy, sustainable lifestyle. I am Liz. And I'm Becca. We are your nutrition educators, and this is The Food Code. All right. Happy Monday, everyone. I am super excited because we are kicking off our menstrual cycle, menstruation, menses, whatever you want to call it, series for May. And it might actually extend beyond May because when we started digging into things and like deciding what we wanted topics to be and all of that, we were like, we need more than five Mondays. So buckle in because we have lots to talk through for the next five Mondays. Yeah, I'm super excited. Obviously, we work with women only. And so we're passionate about women's health. And we do a lot of coaching around supporting better menstrual cycles and lessening, you know, PMS symptoms and improving PMS symptoms. Because as we always say to our clients, your period is your report card of the month. If we are having really horrific PMS symptoms, migraines, cramps, cravings, bloating, digestive issues, like that is a kind of a sign that there are some other things under the hood that need to be fixed um, or supported better uh, in terms of our hormones because mm-hmm. your menstrual cycle is basically one big hormonal shift up and down. Yeah, it's insanity. And I think so many people are on birth control. Um, I was on it until after I had, after we lost Amelia, I think. And since then, I just haven't wanted to go back on it. Once you know so much about it, it's so hard. Um, and we're going to talk about, you know, some alternatives um, and which ones, you know, are a little bit worse than others per se. But you need to listen to these episodes because this is so much information that you do not get from your doctor that unfortunately you're just usually prescribed whatever birth control they tend to give most at their office, um, which I think varies. And, you know, based on your symptoms, you get pushed a certain pill or a shot or an implant or whatever it might be. Um, So today's episode in particular, we're going to kick it off with what is a normal cycle? What is a normal cycle and what nutritional consideration should you put in place when eating for a healthy, normal cycle? So we're going to do that today. Yep. So first, I think I just want to kind of give a disclaimer. This is not medical advice to anybody out there. If you are having issues, you need to do research yourself. There's a couple of doctors that we absolutely love. They have some great books. You can get them hard copy or you can get them on Audible. Do your own research here. Be an advocate for yourself. Have a conversation with your OBGYN. We also have some other podcasts that we have done uh, in the past interviewing some doctors on informed consent because this is the biggest problem that we see in the industry is that... And I speak to this, you know, from a personal uh, experience standpoint. When I was 13, 14 years old, I don't remember exactly, but I was young and I was having really bad menstrual cycles, like lay on the floor, feet up, heating pad, mydol, all the things. Um, I also had horrific 
acne as well. And so the answer was birth control with no other conversation around it. And so we are big advocates of having the knowledge and the education so that you have informed consent to make the decision for yourself. We will do another episode in the series regarding, you know, coming off of birth control. That's something that I've recently gone through as we are family planning. And Beck and I are also going to talk about how our periods changed after pregnancy in postpartum because they both of us have gone through you know times where oh my gosh like i i say this and um i i still feel this way i'm relearning my body now off of hormonal birth control because i was on it for so many years but this is not medical advice yeah. uh we will link out in the show notes, but Dr. Jolene Brighton is one of our favorites as well as Laura Bryden. So we will put their uh, information in the show notes. We are using some of their articles uh, in the research as well as some other uh, resources. And so we will link all of those out in the show notes as well so that you have that on hand for yourself. If you decide, I would like to go in and have a conversation with my OBGYN to potentially change types of birth control, get off of birth control, or not go on birth control and have a case for yourself to advocate for yourself or to get blood work drawn if that's something that you want to get eyes on. I do believe if you're going to go down that path, you need to be working with a functional practitioner so somebody can read it to you. You can understand and interpret it, but that is just our disclaimer. This is not medical advice. We are not advising anybody to go on or off the pill. Yes, this is information for you to take and use how you want. And I wanted to just add something really fast. Liz mentioned what I think a lot of people go through when they first get their period. Your period in the first, actually up to a decade, in your first 10 years of having a cycle is usually still your body regulating itself. So the reason that you typically experience such horrible periods in those teen years is because you haven't fully gotten to a place where your progesterone levels are developed as much as they should be. And progesterone is what helps balance estrogen when you have estrogen quote unquote dominance, which is kind of, it's, it's an imbalance of too much estrogen, not enough progesterone. That could be due to too much estrogen. It could also be due to normal estrogen, but too low of progesterone. And so we as females do not develop full levels of progesterone until like sometimes early twenties, mid twenties. So many people go on birth control before then because of these horrible symptoms, when in reality, your body will get to a place where these go away. And so just a little information, but back to a normal cycle, because I think this is interesting. So according to the Mayo Clinic, a normal cycle can occur anywhere between 21 and 35 days. Planned Parenthood says 25 to 30 days, WebMD, 21 to 45 days, and NHS.UK, which is another health system in the UK, says 21 to 40 days. So I'm glad all of our health organizations are on the same page. Um, But it is said also in terms of flow, it is normal to last anywhere between two and seven days. Some sources even say like up to 10 days can be normal, but the average period is a 28-day cycle. And this can vary actually month to month. Up to eight days can actually be normal. I am super awesome and have a really short cycle, which sucks. Um, it changed when I went off birth when I went off birth control. Obviously, on birth control, we're going to talk about this. You don't actually have a cycle, um, but when I went off birth control, my cycles were like twenty four days, and they would last like five to six days, and that's about where I'm at right now too. I'm about 25, 26 days, and they last about five to seven days. So I basically get like 
14 days without any bleeding. It's cool. Well, and you are trying to prevent <laughs> pregnancy. And so you're also horrible <laughs> shortening that window by another yes. six days, right? Because, and, and we're going to get into that just natural ways to prevent pregnancy because you guys, a lot of people have a misunderstanding that you can get pregnant when you're just, you know, any day of the month when you're not bleeding, but you really can only get pregnant the six days around your ovulation. And so um, it's, it's interesting for me, I'm testing ovulation now and I'm learning never had to do this before, but I'm learning how to do it properly. Last month, I didn't do it properly. I was like, what the heck? I didn't ovulate. Um, but it was because I was testing first thing in the morning when in reality, you need to be testing between 10 and 12 a.m. mid-morning instead of first thing in the morning. So I was like, well, there I learned something new, you know? Mm-hmm. And so um, it, it is interesting as you go through different phases and different seasons of your life. Um, I will say just coming off of the IUD. So I went off the IUD in December. And the IUD, which we'll cover in another episode, is one of the only birth control forms that you actually do continue to ovulate. So I would know when I was ovulating, I would have that ovulation um, discharge. And I would also have just like other you know symptoms of ovulation. I always felt really strong in my workouts, things like that. And then I would always have a period on the uh, Marina IUD that I was on. And it was 28 days like clockwork. So it's about the same off of it, but I am not getting the symptoms as strong around ovulation. And my periods are kind of changing in terms of like they're heavier, they're different consistency, they're different color because it's now an actual bleed compared to a period bleed. So that's for, you know, down the line. But when it comes to the amount of bleeding, I think this is important because a lot of people will have really, really heavy bleeds. I had really heavy bleeds when I was young. I would use tampons. I would also have to use um, pads as well just to make sure that I wasn't like bleeding all over my pants. So to the men out there, I hope that you guys are going to, you know, enjoy these podcasts, get juicy with us. But what we want to make sure is that you're not losing more than about 80 milliliters across the course of your entire cycle. So fun fact, a regular tampon will hold about five milliliters. So in, you know, do the math there, about 16 regular tampons would be the norm. Uh, More than that would be considered a heavy period. So this is, you know, one thing too, where we talk about period pain. I think there's there's some normal cramping that happens, um, you know, the first day or two because of the way that your body is, you know, adjusting with prostaglandins to the inflammation and things like that. But it should not interfere with work or school or your everyday life. I distinctly remember times when my period would come when I was in my teen years. I was like down for the count for like two days and it was so painful. And so we know that there are women that still struggle with this. We've had quite a few women. Um, I'm thinking one of our clients in particular, her period would wipe her out for an entire week. But now that she's worked with us, she's gone month seven in the Evolve You program. She feels amazing. She's not having the digestive issues. She has energy. She's able to work out on those weeks. So that's awesome. Um, but that is not normal. Like if these cycles are kicking you for, you know, two, three days, maybe even longer because it's so painful, then this is definitely something that you want to continue to take notes through this podcast because we're going to talk about some nutritional considerations to help. But it is normal to have some mild uh, pain because of, again, the inflammation from what we know as prostaglandins, which help your uterus contract. Mm-hmm. Um, but severe period pain you know, this is the type of pain that's not really touched by your over-the-counter drugs like Midol and things like that. That can actually be a sign of fibroids or endometriosis. I did at one point in time have a cyst and that cyst ruptured Mm -hmm. uh, in college. It was 
I ended up in the emergency room. It was the most painful experience ever. I think it was worse than um, like my whole pregnancy because it was just, it was so, so painful. And so again, if you're somebody who says, I have such horrible pain and such horrible bleeding, these are conversations you need to have with your doctor. Get some scans, you know, get some you know, feedback on what is actually going on. Are there cysts? Are there fibroids? Uh, maybe some testing too for endometriosis or PCOS. Yep. So PMS is more like other symptoms, irritability, cravings, and usually these things typically respond pretty well to natural treatments. We talk a lot about magnesium being really helpful mm-hmm. um, because magnesium deficiency alone can actually drive a lot of PMS symptoms. Um, sometimes Vitex, if you want to get a little bit more, you know, like big lifter. Um, but be careful with Vitex. You have to make sure like detox pathways are open. It can kind of backfire for some people, but we also want to briefly touch here, which we will expand way more on another podcast. You do not actually have a period on birth control. So birth control essentially shuts down the communication between the ovaries and the brain, and you are not making your own hormones. Birth control is providing artificial hormones. They are, they're molecules. So that's why you get a period quote unquote, when you stop the pill, you know, for that week or whatever it might be, because it's a withdrawal bleed. Okay. And so again, we're going to talk more about that, but that is a lot of times the estrogen in, you know, birth controls drives that withdrawal bleed. Otherwise you just wouldn't end up having one and you don't really need a withdrawal bleed. It's kind of like medically not really necessary. Um, but I think a lot of birth controls are working to mimic, you know, what a female's normal cycle is like, maybe even trick us. Who knows? My conspiracy theory. Um, so anyways, let's dive into nutrition around your period. We also need to just briefly discuss, you know, like fig- go through the the phases of the period because that's going to play a big role in what the nutrition is for your cycle. Because different phases, we've done this on another podcast, we'll briefly go through them. There are multiple different phases of a period. So period is menstruation. That is what a period is. It is basically normal vaginal bleeding that occurs as part of a woman's monthly cycle. So every month your body prepares for pregnancy. If no pregnancy occurs, the uterus or, you know, womb of a baby sheds its lining. The menstrual blood is partly blood and partly tissue from inside the uterus. So it consists of three main phases, the follicular phase, ovulation, which is like ovulation indicates a healthy cycle. If you are not ovulating, even if you have a period, we'll talk about what that indicates. You aren't technically having a healthy cycle if there's no ovulation. Um, And then the luteal phase. So follicular phase, ovulation, luteal phase. Yeah. And I love just thinking in terms of acronyms because it helps me remember things. Um, But the follicular phase, this is the first part of your cycle. So this begins on day one of your menstrual cycle. So your bleed. So follicular first phase of the cycle. Um, And so this begins on the, the first heavy flow day of your cycle. Now, you guys could all look this up on Google. You can see the different types of colors of bleeds because sometimes in the beginning here, what you're going to see is kind of light spotting and it might be darker in color. This is basically old blood. So it's considered kind of the final part of the previous cycle that you had. But day one of the menstrual cycle is the first day of your follicular phase. At this point, our FSH, our follicle stimulating hormone, stimulates the growth of your follicles and the production of estrogen. So a follicle is the sac that contains the eggs. Okay. So this also produces estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone. Follicles produce a specific type of estrogen called estradiol. And estradiol's main role is to stimulate the growth of the uterine lining 
to prepare the body for a potential pregnancy. And it also boosts feelings of happiness. It can improve, you know, your blood sugar control. So we actually have written a blog on this. We also have another podcast episode where we talk about this. If you're starting something new, whether it is a project at work, it's maybe a new training program, it could be, you know, just changing your diet. What research has shown us is because of the hormonal shifts and changes in the beginning of this follicular phase, you tend to have more drive, more creativity. I will be the first to say, just from a content creation standpoint, I have started tracking my creativity with my cycle, and it is so true. Week one of my cycle, even you know, leading into ovulation, I feel more creative. I have all these ideas. It's like easy for me to write things out. The later half of my cycle, I almost feel like I have some writer's block or like creator's block. So um, this is one of the the nicest pieces, even though we are bleeding, which isn't so fun. uh, You do have, you know, that creativity, your mood is better. This is also the time that you tolerate higher carbohydrates better and you can go a little bit more intense with your training. So this is where when we're looking at like a four week block, I would time somebody to start week one with their cycle, and then they're going to peak around ovulation, leading into the last half of their cycle will deload at the end there as you're getting ready to bleed again because of the hormonal shifts. And we can feed you more carbohydrates, which we'll talk more about, to support uh, that higher intensity training in the first couple of weeks here. Yep. Then ovulation happens. So at the time of ovulation, one and sometimes more follicles will swell and the egg ruptures out of the follicle, travels down the fallopian tube. Luteinizing hormone, our LH, triggers this release and you are now able to become pregnant if sperm is present. This is why there's a six-day time period versus like one day of ovulation because sperm can last up to five days within the body. And so if the sperm is still present, this egg gets transferred. That is why you can now become pregnant even though you only technically ovulate around one day. Um, So then that goes into the luteal phase. After ovulation, the emptied follicle begins secreting progesterone. The follicle is now called corpus luteum. The progesterone produced by this corpus luteum prepares the uterine lining for a fertilized egg. Our cycle is for fertility. It's also for health. These hormones create a lot of benefit. But anyways, the right amount of progesterone can reduce the chance of a heavy period. That's why if people have low progesterone, they tend to get heavier periods. Progesterone also stimulates the thyroid. It reduces inflammation, it protects cardiovascular disease, and it can promote relaxation and sleep. Progesterone is like a super hormone. You want progesterone. And it's a lot of times, in my opinion, estrogen dominance isn't so much too much estrogen. It's a lack of progesterone and people feel awful with it. So if you become pregnant, the corpus luteum continues to make progesterone through that first trimester. That extra progesterone is what supports the pregnancy. If you do not become pregnant, this corpus corpus luteum will shrink. It'll shrink within about 10 to 16 days. And at this time, progesterone levels drop, uterus contracts to shed its lining, the luteal phases usually last approximately 10 to 16 days and kind of ends on the first day of the heavy flow of your period. So as we talked about earlier, when we get our cycle, our body releases these inflammatory things, inflammatory cytokines, they're called, the prostaglandins too. And if there is already considerable underlying inflammation, that is when we experience negative symptoms. So the heavy periods, the horrible cramps, the migraines, all of those things. Again, we're going to do another podcast on symptoms and all of the PMS symptoms, but know that this inflammation, this underlying inflammation level is what ultimately causes most of the problems for people. 
And our cycle just compounds on top of that. And so chronic inflammation can be driven by physical and mental stress, environmental toxins, food intolerances, smoking, lack of exercise, imbalanced gut microbiome. And when chronic inflammation occurs, your body's immune system blocks hormone signaling. That's not just important for this podcast. That's important for like everything in terms of how our body should function. Not just sex hormone production, guys. Like insulin hormones, all the other hormones that cortisol, all of these things play such a large role in our body's health. When chronic inflammation and stress occurs, your body's immune system blocks hormone signaling. And this hormone imbalance for our cycle can lead to heavy periods, skipped periods, PMS symptoms, lack of ovulation, so forth. So today's topic is foods. How can we support this with food? Yeah. And it's it's very interesting just with the more and more that Beck and I research different things, we live in a chronic state of inflammation compared to what our ancestors lived in. Many of the diseases that we have today didn't occur years and years ago. And it is because we never take the time to slow down and get into a rest and digest parasympathetic state. People often think that they do because maybe they went and they got their nails done or you know they went and you know did a walk but i'm going to challenge you guys when was the last time that you sat in solitude you didn't have your phone you didn't have anything there distracting you didn't have any technology you know inputs you weren't watching tv and consuming a bunch of blue light uh, on your eyes before you went to bed which disrupts your sleep and circadian rhythm and all of the things that occur overnight when you sleep when was the last time that you actually just had a day to chill and maybe you read a book you went for a walk in nature and you didn't have your phone you didn't have a podcast you didn't have music and you just really got into a calm state because i think so many people think about de-stressing in ways that aren't actually signaling the body to de-stress. But I digress. Let's dive into foods. So what foods can assist lowering inflammation in the body? At the premise of this, one ingredient, whole foods that are not processed, right? Vegetables, they have a lot of fiber, phytonutrients, vitamin C, folate, magnesium. Vegetable fiber helps to feed your healthy gut bacteria as well. Healthy gut bacteria fights off bad bacteria. It protects us from you know, all of the things that we consume day to day that the body sees as invaders, bacteria, parasites that can be found in, you know, food, things that you breathe in through the air, plastics that you're exposed to as well. Um, but healthy gut bacteria is also really important for excreting all of these things that we're exposed to in our waste. So we need good fiber to help us have regular bowel movements, right? So when the gut has the right balance of bacteria and the gastrointestinal tract is moving things through properly, this lowers our inflammation. Why? When you don't poop every day, those toxins reside in your intestines where your body absorbs nutrients and therefore they get reabsorbed because there's, and this also includes estrogen, by the way, estrogen that should be getting detox from the body because you're not pooping every day and you think that this is normal. It's not. If you're constipated, you are at a higher risk for these things to recirculate, for estrogen to recirculate the body and remetabolize itself. That leads to more of the estrogen uh, dominant scenario. So we need to make sure that we are consuming lots of good vegetables, leafy greens, great source of magnesium. Again, we've talked about magnesium tons of times, but it's so important for reducing inflammation, supporting your sex hormones, keeping hormones balanced, and also supporting your insulin and thyroid function. And it also helps with the production of estrogen and progesterone. 
Big reason why we love magnesium. I would say every woman should be on it. It is one of the top deficiencies in the world. Magwell is one of our absolute favorites. Mm -hmm. I like, I love magnesium glycinate and magnesium malate are probably the two top ones in terms of absorbability. Um, I'm not actually sure if absorbability is a word, but absorb, they absorb the best in the body um, and they tend to cover in terms of symptoms that they touch the most common. So they help with energy production. Like Liz was saying, they help with glucose control. Um, There are, tons of other forms of magnesium a lot of them are not as absorbed well by the body and some of them are you know uh, laxative forms and like specific towards headaches and stuff like that so we like magnesium glycinate and malate as like the two main forms that are great um and i love magwell uh the only time that typically you want to be careful with magnesium is if you're already on blood pressure medication because magnesium can naturally decrease blood pressure so you just don't want to like it's usually fine, um, but we always just say, like, talk to your doctor and, you know, start sm- small with the dosage. Um, phytoestrogens. So phytoestrogens are a type of phytonutrient found in foods, nuts, seeds, legumes, whole grains, flax seed in particular, and soy. Um, so phytoestrogens can actually decrease the effectiveness of estrogen. And this can help if you have symptoms of estrogen excess, like heavy periods, breast tenderness, PMS, fibroids. Um, so we actually, if you're getting them from whole food sources, awesome. You want to limit the phytoestrogens that can be produced from environmental toxins and you know poor hair care or skin care products. Those are not the phytoestrogens we want. The phytoestrogens we want are ones coming from whole foods. And then protein. We talk about protein a lot on here, guys. And protein is necessary for maintaining hormone balance. So the liver is responsible for eliminating excess hormones. Liz was talking about how we need to poop every day. And part of that process happens within the liver and the detoxification of things through the liver binding to excess hormones to eliminate. So amino acids, which are the building blocks of protein, are required in this process to basically like package up the toxins so they can be carried out of the body. We recommend a minimum of 0.6 grams per pound of body weight for protein, closer to 0.8, 1.0 grams is ideal. And animal protein is also ideal. It also provides zinc. Zinc is like a super nutrient for women, especially in terms of our cycle health. It's needed for follicle development. It also regulates HPA access and has anti-inflammatory benefits. So you you do not store zinc in your body. And so that's why it's important to get it from foods every day. Um, so when choosing animal protein, obviously trying to get high quality poultry, grass-fed meat, wild-caught fish, organic products um, and eggs, stuff like that. So trying to get adequate protein in a day is one of the best ways to get in adequate zinc. Yep. We just have to make sure that we have the proper digestive support to actually break down, digest, and absorb things. So when I talk with you know potential clients and clients all the time, I'm trying to explain to them the reason why we are so set on you not having you know gas and bloating, diarrhea, constipation is because those are telltale signs that something is not working in the digestive tract. And so as things are broken down, so for example, you consume protein, that is broken down into amino acids. Those are part of building blocks, as Becca was saying. If the body can't break them down and build from them, we have a problem, right? The same way if we can't break down fats and emulsify them and actually absorb vitamin A, D, E, and K. So there's a lot of players that come you know, into 
consideration here, but it's really important to work with somebody if your digestive system is not functioning optimally because there is a difference between ingesting food and digesting food and actually absorbing it. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about some other you know considerations for special diets, right? Maybe somebody's doing keto or they're vegan or vegetarian. So on a vegan vegetarian side, um, I have several clients that do follow more of a plant-based approach and that's completely fine. But what we often see when they come in is that's a lot of processed carbohydrates, right? Because you basically have minimal sources of, you know, lean proteins, if you will. Maybe you're doing like tofu or, you know, things like that. But if you're doing beans and legumes, they have more carbohydrates in them. Yes, they bring fiber, they bring other good nutrients, but I also see a lot of either vegan dairy sources or grilled cheese, pizza, things like that. And so what we want to make sure is that you are still getting a lot of your plant foods, so your vegetables, one ingredient complex carbohydrates, right? You are varying protein sources that you have available to you, whether it's legumes, tofu, um, tempeh, edamame. There's a, there's several you know plant-based sources out there, but we need to fill the gaps because we are not getting full amino acids from animal sources of protein with zinc and B vitamins that are very important. And so this can lead to imbalance of our hormones. So irregular periods, as Becca was just saying, that can be caused by a zinc deficiency. Zinc deficiency is often misdiagnosed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe Dr. Brighton uh, talks about the importance of doing just 10 milligrams of zinc each and every day can be really, really helpful. Um, And so here, just make sure that whatever you're consuming, I would say, read the ingredients, try to avoid a lot of highly ultra processed fake plant-based sources of food. Like we talked with uh, Rob Wolf on our podcast a few weeks ago. You can watch the documentary there called Sacred Cow. They break down for you all of the plant-based burgers that are out there that are actually made up of not so great ingredients. And so here's where we would encourage people to utilize what you're willing to utilize. Maybe you're doing eggs or you're doing you know raw dairy, organic full fat dairy sources. Those are great. Maybe you are even... Um, you know, consuming like some shellfish or things like that. But if you're not doing like chicken, beef, those types of proteins, you want to make sure that you're supplementing with zinc and you're supplementing with a good B complex um, because this can be really, really helpful um, as well to fill the gaps in a vegan diet. Yep. So the next thing we want to talk about are carbohydrates, in particular complex carbs. So complex carbs are slow digesting carbs. They give the body energy. They also contain starch and fiber, which are great for gut bacteria. Carbohydrates are also required for activating thyroid hormone. They also can decrease cortisol. So many benefits of carbs. This is why we don't like removing carbs completely. Mm-hmm. Um, if you are active and you hold on to some level of muscle mass and don't suspect like major insulin resistance, most women should be getting about 150 to 200 grams of carbs a day. And you know this is going to vary based off body size, of course, but believe it or not, that's what you need for a healthy cycle. And so stop trying to diet down to nothing because that is going to eliminate health from other areas of our life. Many women in a, like that try low-carb diets to lose weight, some are successful. Others find that low-carb negatively affects their cycle. If you experience anxiety, insomnia, hair loss, constipation, skipped periods, weight loss pat- plateaus, you may benefit from adding in more complex carbs as long as other things are standard in terms of proteins and fats. So fats, speaking of fats, are the building blocks of our sex hormones. You need fats to have a healthy cycle. 
Not eating enough fat can cause irregular or heavy periods, PMS, or not ovulating. So it is best to choose, you know, fats that are balanced in our day. So we want a balance of saturated, monounsaturated, polyunsaturated. Um, We want to avoid things like highly processed uh, vegetable oils and um, trans fats, things that are in a lot of processed foods, fast foods, fried foods, stuff like that. Um, Omega-3 fats, obviously, things that are found in coconut oil, fish, Organic eggs, these are more anti-inflammatory in nature, and they play a powerful role in reducing inflammation in the body. So the last thing here is vitamin D. Vitamin D regulates over 200 genes within our body, so our genetic makeup. It is essential for metabolism, it is essential for ovulation, and the best source of vitamin D is the sun. (laughs) If you do not live somewhere warm and sunny, which is really what I wonder every year when it hits this time, we're literally almost in May and it is 40 degrees outside. I digress. Lack of exposure to sunlight, obesity, chronic inflammation, and magnesium deficiency can stop your body from getting enough vitamin D. So this is something that a lot of people don't realize is that you could even be taking vitamin D, you guys. But if you are high body fat percentage, If you have constant inflammation, if you have magnesium deficiency, magnesium is very important for basically absorbing and utilizing vitamin D, you could be taking it and not really benefiting from it. And so what's recommended is about 2,000 IUs per day, but we always say get your vitamin D levels tested before supplementing with it because you can end up in vitamin D toxicity as well. Um, You want about between 60 and 80 Mm -hmm. on your MG per DL, I think it is. Yeah, on your labs. Mm-hmm. That's optimal. Yep. Um, you know, a big thing too is vitamin K2. So I always take a liquid form of vitamin D with K2. Uh, vitamin D is synthesized as well and absorbed in the gut. And so again, if you've got gut dysfunction going on and digestion is off, you're probably basically just taking it and not actually absorbing it. And then one you know, thing that I would just remind everybody of is vitamin D is the sunshine vitamin. So the best time to get outside is first thing in the morning. You want your eyes on the sun. You want as much skin exposed to the sun as possible. So it's very interesting, you know, here in the Midwest, uh, people are like, well, I go outside and I walk all the time. I'm like, yeah, but just a general reminder, you only have uh, exposed your skin in the sun when it's warm, right? Most of the time you're covered, you're wearing coats, you're wearing hats, you're wearing scarves. You might have your eyes exposed, but that's not enough, you know, of skin exposure to actually get the full benefit of it. So mm-hmm. yes, I agree with Becca. Test, don't guess, get your vitamin D checked because we also don't want to over uh, supplement with vitamin D. Mm-hmm. So we get, we understand all these things and we are going to consume all of these really nourishing foods. But what about the foods that we should reduce or minimize? Foods that actually cause hormone imbalances and increase inflammation, which in turn cause period problems. So number one is sugar. Sugar causes inflammation by promoting insulin resistance. You guys, I don't think that we have to beat a dead horse here. You've listened to the Food Code podcast for long enough to know sugar is not good for us. High amounts of refined processed carbohydrates are not good for us. When you eat too much sugar or foods that digest easily, very quickly and turn into sugar, such as bread, cereal, pasta, donuts, pancakes, things like that, your pancreas needs to pump out insulin to carry the sugar out of the bloodstream and into your cells but your pancreas can get overloaded and put itself into overdrive and pump out too much insulin. This causes weight gain, especially in the midsection. So, 
you know, ladies out there, when you talk with us, I'm usually asking you where are you holding the most weight? Because I can learn a lot about your body composition just by, or learn a lot about like your health and, you know, some of the underlying dysfunction just by looking at body composition and where we're storing weight um, and, you know, inflammation levels as well. So that is one big thing. If we're storing a lot in our hips, a lot in our legs, a lot in our belly section, for ladies in perimenopause, usually we see that in back fat or upper like arm fat as well. Those are signs that we may have too much insulin circulating the body and we need to shift and you know downregulate and resensitize your body to insulin and remove a lot of these processed artificial um, things that you're consuming because it creates chaos in the body. I call them like metabolic clogs. Um, so I would recommend keeping your sugar to around 10% of your total calorie Honestly, I think most people, if you want to keep it like 25 to 30 grams of sugar a day, that's kind of a a pretty good ballpark. And here I'm not talking about like your apples and your berries and things that are providing, again, antioxidants, fiber, those types of things. When you start to look at labels and you see added sugar, we have clients that will, when they first start with us, they'll be up to like 100 grams of sugar in the day. And it's coming from, air quote here, health foods and fruits. Mm we're not actually understanding what those air quote health foods are made up of. And so we have a lot of added sugars and processed things coming in. And this can result in further, not only just period problems, but hormone problems um, in general. And so I would say, read the labels, eliminate as many added sugars and just sugar in general to your diet. And I will get off my soapbox in one second here. No solo carbs. The end of the day, if you are going to have a donut, you're going to enjoy a piece of you know, dessert, something like that. We get it. We want you to have balance here, but don't consume these things solo. Have something to dress them with it. So either you know, eat a good meal of protein and vegetables before your dessert or pair your donut or your bagel or whatever processed carbohydrate you're going to have with eggs avocado, you know, some good, high quality, nourishing protein and healthy fats before you consume carbohydrates. Because if you're just eating these carbs, you're on that blood sugar roller coaster, you're craving more carbs, you're craving more carbs, pancreas is pumping out more insulin, more insulin, you become insulin resistant. And then you're upset because your cholesterol is out of whack, your periods are out of whack, you feel like crap. It all comes back to how are we consuming sugar? And when we consume sugar, are we balancing it with protein and carbs mm-hmm. or protein and fats? Alcohol. Alcohol causes inflammation. It also affects our HPA axis regulation. Our HPA axis is like our stress command center in our body. And it stops the absorption of B vitamins. So the liver is needed to get alcohol out of the body because alcohol is considered a toxin in the body. So when the liver is detoxing alcohol, it can't process estrogen. As a result, people who drink alcohol often have higher levels of estrogen that affect the menstrual cycle. It is all connected. Vegetable oils, I just talked about, soybean, corn, cottonseed oil, are very high in omega-6 fats. Omega-6 fats are inflammatory fatty acids. The standard American diet is typically higher in omega-6 than omega-3. So using healthier oils, extra virgin olive oil, coconut oil, butter, avocado oil, limiting dieting out. Dining out is the best way to lower your consumption of these oils. And the last two things we're going to talk about here, and then we're going to wrap this episode up, is gluten and dairy. So gluten and dairy are two of the most common food sensitivities that can affect your menstrual cycle. And I think that this is pretty interesting um, in terms of all of what we're about to cover, because a lot of people actually mistake gluten issues with FODMAP, FODMAP issues. And so we're going to get to that. But first, dairy. For many women, not all, 
Stopping dairy can dramatically improve period pain, heavy periods, endometriosis, acne, and PMS. This has to do with the A1 casein in, in dairy. This is one of the proteins in normal cow's milk. And for some people, again, not all, A1 casein converts in the gut to an inflammatory peptide, okay? And this can in turn stimulate inflammatory cytokines, histamine, mast cells, all of this drives menstrual pain, heavy bleeding, mood symptoms, and so forth. And believe it or not, this is actually because of how we breed cows, We've also found in, you know, we've talked about this before, less processed dairy tends to be better for most people. Um, more people can tolerate it. We need to move away from mass farming, essentially. I don't think it will ever happen, but we want to think local. Think local, think higher fat dairy, less processed, less lactose, less milk sugars. Um, all of those are going to help. But yeah, it's, it's essentially how we've been breeding cows for the past, you know, however many years has increased the type of casein that cows produce. So cows used to produce, some cows used to produce only the A2 casein, which is not effective like this. It's not, you know, negative effects like this. Now most of our cows produce the A1 casein, which causes this response. So interesting. It is. Right? The more that you research around just... Um farming and yeah. regenerative farming. And yes, I agree. So I've actually been looking at like different CSAs, local places. If you, you know, want to purchase some of these things, like call call somebody in your local community, ask them, how are they producing these things? What are they feeding their cows? What are they mm-hmm. feeding their animals? Really, really important. And obviously as entrepreneurs, we just believe and supporting small businesses. Yes. Um, We're actually looking into raw milk. Yeah. Yeah. We're looking into um, some farms by you. Some, there is one by us. So I just have to go out there and contact them and start. Because when I put start putting Taylor on milk, I want to do the raw milk. Yeah. There's a farm that we always go to in the summer. Um, it's about halfway between here and your house. I'll have to get you the name of it. They have amazing amazing um meats so we get their eggs there and then we'll we do some meats and it just it tastes so different compared to like is it reams no because reams is a big one by us anyways okay so (laughs) let's move on so uh, for gluten right so you guys know that i have hashimoto's and so i do avoid or drastically minimize gluten sometimes i have it here and there and i'm okay but i have basically avoided it for a long long time um but there can also be people that have like i don't have celiac but i do know that i'm sensitive to it and so this is called a non-celiac gluten sensitivity so even trace amounts of gluten can drive or worsen endometriosis, anemorrhea, which is basically you're skipping uh, your periods or you're not ovulating, um, migraines, and thyroid disease. So that is why I, you know, basically shop all gluten-free, but I really try to stick with one ingredient, uh, carbohydrates, complex carbohydrates, um, because women with gluten sensitivity, here's one thing that we have a lot of people ask us about, like how soon will I see a, uh, difference if I go gluten-free. And it's really tough because there can be trace amounts of gluten in certain things, like even gluten-free certified oats, there can be cross-contamination there. There can be gluten in a lot of sauces or seasoning spices that you might not even you know realize. Uh, you may think you're doing really well on a gluten-free diet, but then it's not actually 100% gluten-free. And so you're getting these trace amounts. And so until you go 100% gluten-free, I would say it's probably going to take you about 30 days to see a difference. And this is where I would encourage people to not just think about weight because you're going to see this more so in your brain function, your energy, how you feel. And then for me, it was my physical composition that changed. I dropped water rate and inches from the inflammation. I didn't necessarily drop on the scale. So 
look at your body composition as well. But for women with FODMAP sensitivity, as opposed to gluten sensitivity, a full serving of wheat or other FODMAP sources uh, can cause digestive bloating and potentially worsen premenstrual mood symptoms, as well as PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome. So here's the thing is like, once you're off of it, and depending upon the quality of it, Small amounts are fine here and there. At least for me, I don't have, again, that celiac reaction to where it's an immediate reaction. But there's four ways that your immune system responds to invaders that it doesn't recognize as self. And one of them is a true allergic reaction. Like, you know, you need to have a EpiPen, you need to be in the emergency room, right? So there's that one. And then there's one that is basically within a few hours, you're feeling it. This could be for people who get like bloating and then diarrhea and like, you know, going to the bathroom a lot. Then there's delayed onset as well. And so this is 48 to 72 hours later. That's what I personally experience with gluten. My back hurts, my joints ache. I just don't feel my best in terms of like my muscles and like recovery from workouts. And then there's other people who just have this low underlying uh, issue of they keep consuming these things and they think the way they feel is normal, but it's creating this chronic systemic inflammation in the body. And so you may not know now that you don't feel so great or you might have an inkling that you don't feel so great until you know how you can truly feel if you are committed to you know eating clean one ingredient foods remove these inflammatory foods give yourself 30 days and see you know the difference see how you feel because every single one of you are different individuals out there even for our clients we've talked about this before that have digestive issues some people have issues with fodmaps other people don't some people can you know tolerate certain things if they're cooked different ways, while other people can tolerate all the raw vegetables and never have an issue. You know, everybody is so individual. And I think a lot of what happens here is, I know that we have to consider and it comes to play is, what has your life looked like in terms of how you were um, you know, raised, the types of foods that you consumed? What other underlying health issues do we have going on? Because all of those things will impact you know, these foods that you can consume and how they, you know, act in the body. Yeah. So here's the big difference. If you're trying to decide, like, should I remove gluten? You need to understand the difference between FODMAP sensitivity and gluten sensitivity. So basically, in short, if wheat causes bloating, it's likely more of a FODMAP problem. If it causes brain fog, psoriasis, skin issues, autoimmunity responses, migraines, it's likely a gluten problem. Okay, so FODMAPs are short chain fermentable carbs. They can cause irritable bowel syndrome. They can cause, you know, things are like wheat, milk, legumes, certain vegetables, certain fruit. You can Google FODMAP list and find like what foods are contained in the FODMAP. So if untreated, FODMAP sensitivity can contribute to problems with gut microbiome. It can impair estrogen clearance. You can end up estrogen dominant. It can activate mast mast cells and it can lead to inflammation that worsens periods, premenstrual mood symptoms, PCOS, all of that. So the solution temporarily cut back on FODMAPs, then work on the underlying issue for why you have a FODMAP sensitivity. That's what people don't do. They just remove these foods forever and then they're like, try to reintroduce them and they feel awful because you never dealt with the underlying issue. Usually the underlying issue, too low of stomach acid, underactive thyroid, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth or SIBO. So you need to look at what's driving the FODMAP issue And that's what you have to attack while obviously keeping them out of the diet to reduce inflammation. Gluten, on the other hand, is not a carbohydrate and often does not cause digestive symptoms. This This is where I think people get confused. Gluten is more systemic. 
it drives systemic issues, brain fog, and just like fatigue, muscle aches, joint pain, all of that. That is what gluten usually drives. So if bloating is your main symptom, likely not a gluten issue, FODMAP issue. So instead, gluten is a protein, okay? And that can cause a deep-seated immune dysfunction. Like Liz was just saying, there's an immune reaction. Even if it's not an allergic reaction, it can be an immune reaction. So here's a tip. Wheat, spelt, rye, barley, possibly oats, contain gluten. Things that do not contain gluten, rice, corn, millet, potatoes, and quinoa. So if you want to use some carbs, those are your carbs. So how to assess for non-celiac gluten sensitivity? Think about the people in your family. Have they dealt with depression, brain fog, psoriasis, infertility, migraines, osteoporosis, autoimmune disease? Hashimoto's autoimmune is a thyroid disease like Liz was talking about. That's very strongly related to gluten issues. So a a family history of this, you could probably benefit from trialing a gluten-free diet, okay? And luckily, our world makes it pretty easy to manage being gluten-free. There's gluten freaking everything. Um, So if you suspect it, we usually recommend strictly avoiding gluten for at least four to eight weeks, see how you feel. Strictly avoiding means avoiding even trace amounts of gluten, guys. When it comes to autoimmunity, when it comes to migraines, when it comes to endometriosis, there is no such thing as like partially gluten-free. 80-20 doesn't work? Doesn't work. Doesn't work (laughs) with gluten, guys. Okay. It's either in or it's out because gluten can also stay in your system for north of six months. Mm -hmm. Okay. Even if you remove it completely, it's still in your system and processing out of the system for up to six plus months. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let's make this really simple for you guys. If you are like, okay, this is a lot to, you know, take in and I'm going to commit to doing a gluten-free diet. Beck and I both have uh, just renewed with Thrive Market. And the best thing that you can do is go there. You can search by diet. You can search autoimmune protocol, low FODMAP. You can do paleo. You can do gluten-free. You can do dairy-free. Like The way that you search on their app and on their website is very, very easy. The other big thing is most grocery stores have gone so far to even label chicken as gluten-free. So look for the certified gluten-free symbols in your store. We have a lot of products that we like. I have a couple of posts that I have done on my Instagram as well as on my Facebook with some of my favorite products for gluten-free, but it's really not that hard as long as you just take a little bit of time to read labels. Educate yourself on you know what some of those cross-contamination things can be. A simple Google search will help you with this. Gluten-free, you can find that on Pinterest. You can, there's so many things now compared to what it was when I went gluten-free years ago. I was like, oh my gosh, what the heck am I going to eat? Um, so go to Thrive Market. If you have not checked them out, I highly recommend them. They're fantastic. And you can get a lot of things there cheaper than what you're going to find like at your local Meyer, Walmart, things like that too, uh, because you get different discounts. So we can put a link in the show notes for that. But we hope that this, you know, Number one episode, we have more to come, uh, was very beneficial for you. Now you can understand what it is like to have a normal menstrual cycle. The only thing I believe that we didn't cover that I really uh, just wanted to quickly add in is when we talked about the follicular phase and blood sugar and handling uh, carbohydrates, this is opposite in the luteal phase, okay? So you, even though you crave sweets, carbohydrates, and sugar, you're actually more insulin sensitive. So we would recommend lowering your carbohydrates leading into the start of your bleed. So after ovulation, that like week, week and a half before you're getting your next uh, period bleed, start to increase your good healthy fats to help with inflammation and lower your carbohydrates a bit. We're not saying that you got to flip into like super low carb or keto 
mm-hmm. n- not by any means. But I just wanted to throw that in there because we did. I did touch on that in terms of the follicular phase. You tolerate more carbs better compared to the later half of the phase when you should be consuming higher, good quality, healthy fats. But most people crave things and so they go for the sugar mm-hmm. and that can also exacerbate your your PMS symptoms. Yeah, and we have a whole podcast that talks about that more mm-hmm. in depth. Um, today was a little bit more around like how to eat to make sure that you have a healthy cycle and get your body what it needs and avoid the things that it doesn't need. So these are going to get juicier as they go. Uh, we had to, you know, kick it off by just defining what is a cycle? What is not a cycle? What do you need for a healthy cycle? So tune in next week. We are going to talk about the scary truth around birth control. And if this resonates with you, please share it. If you know somebody who needs to hear Liz and Becca on the food code, drop some knowledge around, you know, these menstrual Mondays, please share it. Tag us. We love seeing, you know, when you are tagging us on Instagram or Facebook, wherever you're sharing it out. We so appreciate it because it helps us reach others around the world. Have a great day, guys. We'll be back on Wednesday with another interview. Thank you for listening to The Food Code. If this episode resonated with you, please share, rate, and review as this helps us reach others around the world. With that, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Love you guys.